Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Hey, welcome to Damascus Road. Thank you for being here. My name's Tim. I'm one of the elders here. I tend to do the largest amount of uh, mouth running on Sunday mornings. So thanks for uh, joining us for that. We are in the book of Acts right now. And if you're a guest, just to give you a real quick overview of the book. It's written by a guy whose name is Luke. Luke is a doctor and a historian, and he's writing it as a letter to a buddy of his by the name of Theophilus. Theophilus is a, is a guy who's a new Christian, and he's trying to wrap his head around this idea of Christianity, and Luke writes him two letters. One is aptly titled the Gospel of Luke, right? And the second is the Acts of the Apostles, which is the book that we're in right now. And it's to kind of ground Theophilus and comfort Theophilus to just let him know, hey, listen, you are a part of something legitimate. You can attach your life to this. This is true and good and right. And in the middle of this book, we're introduced to a guy by the name of Saul. Saul is a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. And he hates the church that Luke is talking about. And in, Luke, in Acts chapter 8, he's on his way to a town called Damascus. And on the road to Damascus, God intersects his life and saves him. Hence the name of this church, right? Damascus Road Church. We want this to be a place where you are on the way to wherever you're going. And God to intersect your life and you'd have a Damascus Road experience. And I'm praying that that happens to you today. That you meet God today if you haven't before. But Saul is introduced to God. God saves him. And uh, Saul is renamed or, or becomes more aptly known as Paul, and Paul is a missionary who has three missionary trips at the back end of the book of Acts. Last week, we looked a little bit into the back end of that first trip and the beginning of the second trip. We are kind of historically in the middle of his second missionary trip in Acts chapter 18 and 19. That's where we'll be today. So let me just help you get your geographic bearings a little bit as to what's going on. Last week, we saw that Paul was spending time in Athens. If we were going to say a modern-day American equivalent to Athens, we would say it's Boston. It was an intellectual center. It was a place where lots of new ideas, lots of new philosophy, lots of new academia came out of places like Harvard and MIT and that kind of day. This week, we're going to see that Paul is in Corinth, and Corinth is similar to our New York City. It's a commercial center. It's where a lot of A lot of uh, buying and selling and trading and commerce is going on. And we're also going to see him in Ephesus, which would be like our L.A. It's a cultural center. It's it's where a lot of theater and a lot of art and a lot of those kinds of things are coming up. And then later in the book of Acts, we're going to see him in Rome. And Rome is a political center. And so it's very similar to our what? Yeah, Washington, D.C. So... We're following Paul as he goes around teaching the gospel, believing that the gospel is for everyone. And today, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Acts chapter 18. And just if you look at Acts chapter 18 and verse 1, you'll see after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. If you look at chapter 19 and verse 1, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to where? You're like, I don't know, it's not on the screen. To Ephesus, he came to Ephesus, all right? (laughs) That's your job to tell us. All right, fair enough. Um, But here's what I want to do today, is I want to spend uh, a good amount of time in Acts chapter 18 while Paul is in Corinth, and uh, let me set this up for us, and then we're going to read it together, and then we'll kind of sink our teeth into it. 
Uh, most theologians would say that Paul's first missionary journey was uh, not overtly successful. It was a, he did a lot of preaching and a lot of teaching, and some people responded and said, yes, we want to follow Jesus, but not really a lot. And so we would say that that was kind of like Paul's planting journey. He put a lot of seed in the ground, but didn't see a lot of fruit come out. His second missionary journey is the one that Paul really kind of becomes the Apostle Paul, kind of this all-star missionary in the Bible. It's, it's when he has the most, in quotation, success. He sees a lot of people become followers of Jesus. Uh, things are going very, very, very well for Paul during this time, okay? So with that in mind, I'm going to have you stand up. I want you to read Acts chapter 18. We are going to go verses 5 through 11. And I want you to see what happens to Paul in the middle of his successful mission trip uh, in Acts chapter 18 here, 18 here at Corinth, okay? Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. Verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived in Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. But they opposed him and reviled him, and he shook off his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. And henceforth the benediction will be that, Okay? Your blood is on your head. I'm innocent. I'm kidding, all right? We're good, right? It's just a little joke, little little preaching joke, okay? It was awkward, I know, but roll with me, okay? Are y'all good today? All right. The people at West got that. Y'all were like, really? That's really morbid. All right, fair enough. Verse 7. You are East. I'm I'm very clear on that, all right? (laughs) Verse 7. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named... Uh, Titus Justice, and he was a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, what I hope is going to be a deeply encouraging and even healing uh, time for us here today. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak clearly, uh, powerfully, and in a redemptive way. God, we're your people and we need to hear from you today. So God, would you uh, give us a posture to receive of humility, of intent to obey, Uh, so that you could be glorified in our lives, so that we could receive everything that you have for us, God, and so that we can rejoice together in your goodness and faithfulness to us. We thank you for these things, and we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So here's how I want you to think through this. Paul is this missionary. He's gone on one missionary journey. He's now on his second missionary journey. He's in Corinth. And Corinth, just to kind of give you an idea, uh, there was a word... In, in the culture of the time, that was, it was actually a verb. It was to Corinthianize, okay? If you were, if you were uh, uh, being sexually perverse, you were Corinthianizing. Just to give you an idea of what Corinth was like. It was, it was a gross city. It was, it was corrupt. It was perverse. It was, it was a, a, a deeply, deeply broken city to the extent that people in the area were like, oh, man, that dude's Corinthianizing, and so Paul goes here, 
And, and, and look at what happens. He, he, he begins to preach the gospel. And it says that he ends up spending some time with a dude who lives next to the synagogue. And the guy who runs the synagogue, Crispus, becomes a follower of Jesus. Now understand this, that the guy who runs the synagogue is not a Christian. He is a, he is a Jew who does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And Paul is preaching the gospel, and the guy that is in charge of telling people not to believe in Jesus becomes a follower of Jesus. And not only him, but his wife is like, I want to follow Jesus. And not only his wife, but his kids are like, well, we want to follow Jesus. If that happens today, I'm going to go home today, and no matter what happens with the Packers, I'm going to be like, that was a good day. All right? Um, and Paul is seeing people come to know Jesus. It says that in the city of Corinth, people were getting saved. And so not only in the gathering time, but people are kind of, uh, you know, out of the blue, just saying, man, come into the door. Hey, man, we want to follow Jesus. I mean, he's experiencing a tremendous amount of success. And God's using him and God's blessing him. And, and if you're in here today, listen, the, the most beautiful thing that you can ask God to do is use you. It's the, most, it's the most wonderful thing that you can do. And Paul's a guy who said, man, God, I want you to use me. And in a, in a, in a radical, beautiful way, God says, man, I'll use you, okay? Right in the middle of that, God comes to Paul and he says, listen, Paul, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Keep doing what you're doing. Understand that, that I'm with you and understand that no one's gonna harm you and understand that I've got people all around you. Now, why, why would God come to Paul and say, Paul, don't be afraid, man. Don't, don't be discouraged. Don't, don't, why, why would he do that? Because Paul was afraid. And Paul was discouraged. And in fact, if you read lots of commentaries around this, this is a really an important moment in Paul's life. Most theologians believe that Paul was very seriously considering quitting the ministry right here. I want you to, I want you to think about this for a second. Paul is in the middle of doing the thing that he feels called to do, that he's asked God to do, and by God's grace, God is using him, and by God's grace, people are getting saved all around him. I mean, he has gotten everything that he asked for, everything that he wanted, everything that he committed his life to, and right in the middle of it, he's like, man, this is awful, and I'm freaked out, and I'm afraid, and I'm discouraged, and I'm depressed, and I want to quit. Do you know that there are times in our lives where even though we're trying to do the right thing, even though we're trying to obey God, even though we're trying to be faithful to God, on the inside, we'll be discouraged, afraid, depressed, and ask ourselves, what's really the point of this? Has anyone experienced that before? Do you know that actually that is something that happens all the time in the Bible? And if you read the history of the church, you see it again and again and again. One of my ministry heroes is a guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a British preacher. His nickname is the Prince of Preachers, all right? I mean, that's a legit nickname. Uh, he was a guy that uh, in the 1800s, he had really one of the first mega churches in the world. He was preaching to thousands and thousands of people. He's written lots and lots of books. And he was a guy who had, similar to what we have here at Damascus Road, we have a, a, a ministry that we call Porterbrook. And if somebody feels called to the ministry or wants to learn their Bible well, they can go through a two-year uh, class called Porterbrook, and we teach them the Bible and help them to kind of get their bearings on who God is and what he wants them to do. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon had something very similar to this, and out of that college 
he wrote a book that's one of my favorite books. It's called Lectures to My Students. And one of my favorite chapters in one of my favorite books is called this. Are you ready for it? Okay. I, mean, I, just, I ask you a question, you just stare at me. Okay. <laughs> the chapter is called The Minister's Fainting Fits. Do you know what it's about? Depression. It's about depression. And in fact, Charles Spurgeon, uh, throughout his life and throughout his ministry, as successful as it was, I mean, if your nickname is the Prince of Preachers, you're doing something right, was a man who struggled deeply with depression. And in this chapter, he talks about the three times in his life that he was most prevalent to being depressed. One was in the middle of relationship when someone betrays or hurts him. So somebody uh, you know, that you trust disappoints, somebody that you trust uh, slanders you or gossips about you, he says that is depressing. The other two, the first is, he says, I'm most prone to depression right before God uses me mightily. Right before God's about to do something big, I have found that I tend to get depressed. Does anyone want to guess what the third one is? Right after. Paul is in the middle of success. He's in the middle of being used by God. And in the middle of it, he's like, I'm done, man. Spurgeon was a man who was deeply used by God. And he says, man, right before God's about to do something big, the lights go off. And right after he does it, the lights go off. And I, I've just learned to realize that right before God's going to show up big, I, I have to prepare my heart to deal with fear and discouragement. Did you know that that happened to Jesus? In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. It's kind of the jumping off point of his ministry. And here's how God launches his church. The sky opens up, the Holy Spirit comes down, and the voice of God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, this is like you start a church, and God opens up the sky of Madison and says, yo, go to Damascus Road. That's a pretty good launch. You know, you're feeling pretty good about how the church is going to go at that point. You go home that day, and you're like, I'm glad the Packers won, but I mean, God opened up the sky and told everyone to come to my church. It's pretty awesome. Do you know what happens in Matthew chapter 4? It says that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Listen, the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness right after the successful debut of his ministry for 40 days into the desert to be tempted by Satan. Right on the heels of success. Right, right in the midst of things are good, things, are, things, are, things are, are going beautifully. Geographically, what tends to sit next to mountains? Valleys. Tends to sit next, right next to, to mountains or valleys. And, and here's something that I've noticed, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about my story here. Um, I've noticed that there's a two-headed monster when it comes to, uh, to ministry and to mission and just the Christian life. Uh, the first is just discouragement. And what I call discouragement is just uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with how it's going. And so when I'm discouraged, it's generally about someone or about something. The other head of the monster is fear. And that's not about how it's going. It's about how it might go, right? That I look in the future and I'm bummed out because they said this or this happened or they didn't do or they split up or they lost their whatever, you know? Uh, fear is to look in the future and say, man, what's next? It can't be good. When I first came to Madison, um, for about the first two years, uh, 
I had a cycle of spiritual warfare in my life. The first was that the first week of the month, repeatedly I would get sick, just with some kind of annoying you know, cough or, or gut thing or, or whatever. The second week of the month, my wife and I would have a, a vehement conversation. <laughs> the third, and thank goodness that doesn't happen anymore, at least not since last night. Um, the third, <laughs> the third, you think I'm kidding. Um, the third, the third is that uh, I, would, I would come into the office on Monday and immediately my mind would start to really get anxious around the future. When, when I first came to Madison, this was a church that was hurting and I wasn't quite sure what God was going to do and the enemy would just do a lot of what ifs. Man, what are you going to do if... What, what, if, what if they say? What if they don't? What if they, and just over and over, and I could not turn it off. The fourth week, I'd come in on Monday, and the lights in my heart, in my mind, in my soul would just go out. Just, and I, would, I could not get out from underneath it. And it took me about six months, and I remember I actually pulled, uh, actually I didn't pull Tony Tucci aside. He, he is kind of an intuitive relational guy, and he said, Hey, man, you doing all right? And I, I was in one of those weeks, and I just said, man, I, I don't know. The lights are just off. I can't, I can't enjoy. I can't celebrate. I'm, 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 I'm depressed. And, uh, and so this has become a, uh, a bit of a bedmate for me, as it were, and me trying to uh, follow God, try to obey God, try to walk with God, and try to deal with, man, what happens when I'm in a valley? And how do I deal with that? And how do I get out? And how do I, how do I think about that? And, and uh, uh, did I screw up to make it happen? And so what I want to do today is I just want to give you three things. And here's the reason that I think this is so important. One uh, is because I believe that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a missionary. And I believe that if you commit yourself to that, you enter yourself into a spiritual warfare that sometimes will mean you will take the next step and the lights will go out. And I want to prepare you for that. Secondly, uh, because I believe that depression and discouragement and fear, uh, if it's not happening to you now, it will be happening to you at some point. Thirdly, because particularly depression is one of those things that if you are or if you have been, you probably have an idea that it's your fault. You probably have an idea that the reason that you're depressed is because you screwed up and God's punishing you by turning the lights out. Now let me be completely honest with you, okay? Some of you are depressed because you need to repent. Okay? At the same time, there are many of you who struggle with depression and discouragement and fear that the reason you struggle with them is that you are trying to obey. That you are trying to do well, that you are trying to seek God. And we struggle with the idea that part of that call and part of that commitment, yes, leads me to mountaintops, but it also leads me through valleys. And so how, how do I think about that, pray about that? How do I prepare myself for that? Are you with me? Okay. First thing that I want you to understand is that it is less important where you walk than it is important with whom. It's less important where you walk than it is important with whom. Now let me say it to you 
another way. If you make your aim the mountaintop, you are bound to be disappointed. If you say, when I became a Christian, my expectation was that my life henceforth was going to be filled with fresh air and cascading views, you are bound to be disappointed. And the reason that I say it's more important to know who I'm walking with than to know where I'm walking is in Psalms chapter 23 and verse 4. I want to read this to you, Psalms 23 and verse 4. This is a guy by the name of David. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. And look at what he says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not, I wonder if I ever will. Even though I do, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I know who I'm walking with. Because I know who I'm walking with. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Listen, it doesn't say they rescue me. It says they comfort me. It doesn't say they teleport me. It says they comfort me. I'm a little bit concerned because there is a, uh, there's a framework in the church right now that tells people, if you want to be happy, if you want to have joy, if you want to be rich, if you want to have people like you and lots of stuff, become a Christian. And yet when I read the Bible, I don't see that anywhere. And when we teach people, and when we have the assumption that God always wants me on the mountaintop, you got to cut a lot of your Bible out. Because there's people who adore God, who say, this is about to kill me. But God is worthy. And God is faithful. And God is sufficient. And so the aim, listen, the idol of the mountaintop experience is not given to us biblically. It's given to us culturally. It's not given to us biblically, it's given to us culturally. Here's what God promises you. I will never leave you. I will always be with you. I will always be sufficient. I will always be more than enough. Even if you are in the valley of the shadow of death, I will be there with you. And so I want to just caution our hearts to be be expecting God to always make it a party. God doesn't promise that. God promises you himself. He promises to be with you. And so when we look at scripture and we are discouraged and we are depressed and we are afraid, where does the Bible say that encouragement comes from or comfort comes from? Uh, Four things that I want you to think about or jot down. The first we're just going to put under the category of God's providence or in other words, God just provides it for us. And there's two ways that I have received God do this, and I've seen God do this, and I see God do it in Scripture. The first is through prayer. The first is just that you come to God and you just say, God, look, I I know you're with me in the valley, but I'm tired, man, and I'm hurting, and I'm bummed out, and I'm asking you to teleport me. And there are times that God says, okay. There are times that in God's grace, he says, "I, I hear you, and I receive your prayer, and in my grace and sovereignty and providence, I answer it, and I'm taking you out of the valley. The second thing is worship. It's to come into, uh, into a room like this 
and to be feeling like your guts are getting turned inside out, to be feeling like the lights are off, to be feeling like God has left you, to be feeling like the future is scary, and the music fires up and you say, but you're still God, and you're still more than enough, and I still trust you, even though, man, I don't feel like trusting you, even though I can't see you, even though I'm kind of ticked off. And there are times that God meets you in your despair, As you say, I'm despairing. And I can make a real biblical case for this. The book of Psalms. Yeah. You read the book of Psalms, and the book of Psalms is a man or men and women talking to God about what's happening and how they feel about it, generally not positive. And almost all of those prayers, how do they end? Worship. They end in worship. And there are times where God will take you out of the valley, and there are times where God will give you relief in the valley. But both prayer and worship, under the providence of God, are times when encouragement comes to us. The second, and and let me preface this, I think that one of the aims of the enemy to discourage and to bring fear into our lives uh, is to isolate us. I think that I think it's important for you to know that. That the enemy wants you to be isolated. And there are times that thoughts come into your head and feelings come into your heart that you say to yourself, I don't want to tell anybody this. I don't don't want to be around anybody. I'm going to slog through this by myself. And it's the worst thing you could do. It's the worst thing you could do. Uh, Because one of the, the second way that God encourages our heart is by his people. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I don't always want to come to church. It's true. I, I, I mean, I, I want you to understand that. Uh, there are times, I was talking, we had an elder retreat, which thanks for those of you who prayed for us. And, and I said to him, look, I'm going to be honest with you. The last couple months, on Saturday night, when I say amen on my preparation, I say, I don't want to go, man. But can I also tell you um, that when I get here, God's people, you, uh, remind me of the grace of God. There are times that I want to be by myself. There are times that I'm like, I don't want to be around God's people. I don't want to be in community. I'm tired. I'm drained. I'm, dis- I'm discouraged, I'm afraid, I'm depressed, I'm ticked, I'm, you know, any number of things. I don't want to be around y'all. But then when I am, God uses you. I don't know if you've had that experience. You're like, man, I don't, I don't want to go to community group. And then you go and you're like, oh, that's why. Yeah, God uses his people. And you read through Acts chapter 18, uh, people like Aquila, Priscilla, Silas, Timothy, Luke, Paul had men and women around him uh, who encouraged him in God. Encouraged him in God. The third thing is time alone with God in his word. One is, is prayer. One is worship. One is to be with God's people. And this should sound familiar to, uh, to you. Right? We talk about these things all the time. Uh, prayer, worship, community, and then just spending time with God. Can I tell you another secret? Um, I don't always like to read my Bible. I don't. 
Can I tell you another secret? I'll come over here because I just want to spread out the secrets, you know. Um, sometimes when I read my Bible, nothing happens. Like nothing. Like I get done, I go, okay. Can I also tell you that uh, there are times that I'm reading and smack in the middle of a mundane word, God goes, bam! Whoa. And speaks to my heart in a way that only he can and only he does. There's something about spending time with God's people and there's something about spending time alone with God that can and does and will encourage your heart in a very unique and specific way. And let me tell you something that's important. In Matthew chapter 7, there's a parable about a guy who's building his house. And one dude builds his house on a rock. And the other cat builds his house on the beach for obvious reasons, right? And what does the scripture say? That a storm came. And the dude who built his house on sand lost his house. Can I tell you something? Uh, Building a house is something that you do day after day. Technology has not led us to the place where you can just build a house right now. Uh, It's a stewardship. It's a a discipline. It's a commitment. uh, And where you build your house day after day will prepare you or leave you ill-prepared for when the storm comes. And so when we say, listen, we want you in a community group. Why? Because we want you to build your house on a rock. We want, we want you to spend time with God. Why? Because we know what happens when the storm comes and you haven't been. And you know that it's harder to find encouragement from God's people when you have to reintroduce yourself to them. Have you ever done that thing where you, you haven't come to church for like six months and you come back in and you, there's like that awkward, awkward, like from the front door to the seat, you're like, I think I might leave, you know? <laughs> or you haven't been at community group and you come back in and you're like, oh man, they're going to be like, hey, where you been? That's going to be awkward because I'm not going to want to answer them. And I think I might leave. <laughs> what happens when the lights are out, the storm is coming, the thunder is booming, and you haven't been for six months? You tend to isolate, don't you? And as you tend to isolate, and as you're not hearing from God, and as you're uh, not being blessed by God's people, do you know what's happening under your life? Sand. Listen, I don't ask you to go to community group to check a box. I don't ask you to go to community group so that I can feel like a successful pastor. I ask you to go to community group and read your Bible because I love you. And because I know storms come. And because I don't want you to go through them alone, because I don't want you to go through them without hearing from God, because I don't want you to go through them and see your life erode under you because you didn't build your house well. And because I believe that God loves you, and in his grace, he says, sweetheart, there are going to be times when the lights are going to go out, and I'm telling you how to prepare. There are going to be times where your marriage is going to suck. And I'm telling you how to prepare. There are are going to be times where you're going to be alone. You're going to lose. You're going to be betrayed. You're going to be hurt. And and, and buddy, I'm I'm telling you how to prepare because I love you. 
And I'm so thankful to God. I'm so thankful to God that he, he tells me how to prepare. And I've been on both sides. I've been on times where the lights have gone out and I was not prepared. And I've had times where the lights went out and I was prepared. And it didn't mean that the lights came back on. It just meant that I wasn't alone when they did. So encouragement comes through, man, praying. And I mean candid praying. I mean, I mean cussing praying. You know what that is, right? Where you are raw enough where you say what you actually think to God. That's called cussing praying. I mean authentic praying. I mean this is where I am. And I mean authentic worship where you come in and you, it's not for anyone. And you're willing to look foolish and act foolish and sound foolish like I do when I sing. Because you're just bringing to God who you are and where you are in the most genuine, real, beautiful sense. Committing to being with God's people and committing to being with God. Build your house for when the lights go out. And listen, that's simple and hard, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So Paul finds himself in this place. The lights are out. And God comes to him and says, here are the three things that I want you to do until encouragement arrives. Until encouragement arrives. And so I'm trying to help us think through, don't aim for the mountain, aim to walk with God. I'm trying to help us build our house well in prayer and worship and spending time with God's people and spending time with God. But, but here's the reality. That doesn't mean that you just walk right out of the valley. And so as I'm building and as I'm investing and as I'm stewarding and as I'm seeking to walk with God, how, what do I do? How do I respond? How do I think about this? Until encouragement arrives. Three things that I want you to know. In Acts chapter 18, in Acts chapter 18, Paul is told by God the first of three things. Acts 18 and verse 9. Are you still with me? And the Lord said to Paul, one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Is it up there? Yeah. But what? Go on speaking. The first thing that you don't want to do while you're waiting for encouragement to arrive is stop. <laughs> Keep going. Now let me, I want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to think about uh, your life as a walk uh, over a certain terrain. There are times where the lights are on, the confetti is flowing, the view is beautiful, uh, you just had a baby, you just got married, you just fell in love, you just got a raise, the package just won, okay? <laughs> Y'all are crazy. Uh, and there are times where as you go through life, you are sometimes unknowingly descending into the valley. And then you kind of get your, get your bearings and you say, it's dark and I'm alone and I'm looking up at everything. I'm down. If I stop in the valley, where am I? I'm in the valley. Permanently. I have a friend who... Uh, walks with God and seeks to follow God and believe that God had a call on his life to go into uh, vocational ministry to be a pastor. And through a series of events, actually I have many friends 
Uh, One was deeply, deeply wounded and betrayed by a church. One had marital problems, and his wife said, uh, you can either do ministry or you can be married to me. And both of those men, for a very long time, in the middle of a valley, stopped. And to hear them now talk about God sounds completely different. Why? Because of where they're talking about him from. The worst thing that you can do, guys, when you're in the valley, is sit down. Now, I'm not saying it's not, we're not prone to do it. I'm not saying it's not understandable that we do it. But I want you to understand that most of the time when you're walking with God from a mountain and you find yourself in a valley, he's walking you toward another mountain. And if you let go of his hand and sit down, not only are you not walking with God, but you are in the valley. So don't isolate. Don't get paralyzed. Don't stop praying. Don't stop worshiping. Don't stop reading. Don't stop serving. Don't stop giving. Do it more. Put the next foot in front of the other and keep doing it until it gets lighter. And this isn't like a football talk, okay? This isn't like, you just need to run through it. This is reality. This is life. This is that I'm prone to let go and sit down, aren't you? When God says, it's not about where you're walking, it's about who you're walking with. Will you trust me to walk you out of this thing? Keep going, keep going. Number two, in verse 10, look at what he says to Paul. He, he says in verse nine, don't be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent. Why? For I'm with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in the city who are my people. Uh, let me say it to you in non-Bible language. Uh, you're not alone and I'm still in charge. The enemy wants to uh, isolate you, the enemy wants to paralyze you, and the enemy wants to disorient you. And Paul comes, is visited by God, and and God reorients him and says, you're not alone. And none of the things that are happening to you are outside of my control. He just, he reminds, keep going and be reminded of what is true. And can I tell you, one of the reasons that you being in community is so important, because there will be times in your life that you're so disoriented that you literally cannot remember what is true. And you need somebody to put their arm around you and either whisper or scream what is true into your ear. Just to remind you, you're not alone. God is with you. God's people are with you. God is still present he is here he is true he is strong he is in control yes you're in the valley but so is God put a step in front of the other keep going don't let go don't sit down persevere Persevere. amen amen that's right remember and persevere number three number three in verse 10 He says, uh, I'm with you, and uh, nobody's going to harm you. And then at the end he says, for I have many in this city who are my people. Why why, why would God remind Paul 
that there are lots of people in the city who love Jesus too. You know why I think? Because Paul was doing what I do, which is in the midst of lots of abundance and blessing, I think about the one thing that's going wrong. Right? Doesn't the enemy want you to get disoriented and want you to forget that God's good? Paul, Paul is, is going through his life and he's saying, man, I, I, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to walk with God. I'm trying to be obedient. Uh, but, but people are trying to kill me and I'm, I'm depressed and I'm discouraged and I'm alone and I'm the only one. And Paul is said, Paul you know, is told by God, uh, you're not. You're not the only one. Focus on my people instead of your enemies. Focus on my blessing instead of your need. Uh, focus on my faithfulness instead of your scarcity. Uh, remind yourself of what is true and right and good. Keep going. Uh, pray, worship, read, listen, and trust that even though the lights are on, are off now, they'll be on soon. And can I also say it this way? And even if they don't ever come back on, God is in the dark with you. Because I know that some of you, uh, part of the journey that you have is that the lights don't come back on. And I don't want to give you the false hope that they'll come back on. I want to give you the real hope that you won't be alone in the dark. Each week I've been trying to just give you a practical exercise to, uh, to think and pray and hear from God on. Last week I said, well, why don't you write down three names that you can just pray on in 2015. And it was awesome. I had people come up to me telling me their names. and I had, I had two ladies come up to me and say, we talked and we have the same three people. Right? Like, is it more if it's double? And I'm like, yes, it is. Yeah. Should we get our own unique list? No, you shouldn't. Yeah. It's awesome. Here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, I'd like you to just sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and maybe a cup of coffee if you need that. And I'd like you to just start writing out the things that God has done, the ways God has blessed, the way that God has provided. And the reason that I'm going to do that this week is because I get disoriented and I forget. And because I think there's a really sacred, beautiful, powerful discipline and exercise of just meditating on the tangible goodness of God. And then the second thing that I'd like you to do is I would like you to put another cup of coffee beside you and invite somebody to sit down and say, these are the ways. And that will build community and it will remind and it will reorient us to, yes, sometimes the lights go out regardless of our best attempts and efforts. God's still with us and God's still good and we're not in scarcity when we have Jesus. And then thirdly, I would just like you to, if you know somebody who struggles with discouragement or fear or depression, uh, I'd like you to just pray for them this week. For some people, uh, depression is the stone that's hung around their neck. And uh, it's an isolating, lonely, scary, painful place. And uh, I think that the church needs to not ignore that, but to believe that God is sufficient in spite of it. And so I just ask you,
to uh, make the list, to share the list, and to pray for someone who's struggling with the list. Amen? All right. Why don't you stand with? Let me tell you a couple ways that you can respond. Uh, We are going to sing. Uh, I would ask you to sing at whatever volume you choose, but with all sincerity and genuineness. All right? We'll have people in the back who uh, would love to pray with you, for you, over you, to my left, to your right. We are going to uh, come up and remind ourselves of the grace and sufficiency of God in sending Jesus to die for us by taking communion. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, we'd invite you to do that with us. Uh, let's pray. God, I, uh, I thank you for the mountaintops. I thank you for the times where we are given echoes of the kingdom, of redemption, of hope, of joy. Thank you for uh, your blessing in our lives, your trustworthiness, your faithfulness. And God, I, I got to admit, I say with a little bit of fear, <laughs> I also thank you for the valleys. Uh, in that, you're always in them with us. And as much as they pain us and burden us and terrify us, as we walk through the valleys, you're with us and you comfort us. I want to pray for those of us in the room today who are drained, are tired, are hurting, are depressed, are afraid. Just that you would be strong in the midst of that for them. Help them to feel your presence and your strength. Remind them of your goodness. Give them hope of a lighter day but help them to believe that they have everything that they need regardless of where they are if they have you. God, would you speak to us today in your goodness? Would you sustain us today through your strength? Would you be glorified as we seek to follow you? We pray these things in the good name of Jesus. Amen.